Have you ever been to an improv comedy performance? Have you ever heard of medical improv? Well, today's guest, Beth Boynton, is a nurse who offers extraordinary training in improv that can greatly improve communication and teamwork in healthcare workplaces. Let's dig deep into the world of medical improv right here on episode 194 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to the Nurse Keith Show. I am so grateful you're listening, whether it's your first time tuning in or you've been hanging out with me for months or years. Thanks for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, inspiration, and ideas that can get you moving in a positive and inspired direction. And if you want to see the show notes for this episode, you can follow along at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 194. And I just want to make sure that you pay attention during this episode because Beth Boynton, our guest, is going to be talking about how you can get a free copy of one of her eBooks for 24 hours on March 1st, 2019. So make sure you are listening for the mid-roll halfway through the episode to hear how you can get a free copy of her Yes and Improv exercise. Here we go into the studio for our conversation with Beth Boynton. So here we are with Beth Boynton, my good friend and colleague. She is RNMS, a nurse consultant and author specializing in respectful communication, collaboration, and culture in healthcare and other businesses. Her books, blogs, videos, and other publications build on the idea that respect for self and others is essential for healthy relationships, teams, cultures, and all human systems. In healthcare, respect is critical for safe, compassionate care of patients and families families, and for the well-being of the workforce. Beth is a pioneer in developing medical improv as an experiential teaching strategy for skills associated with emotional intelligence and communication. She's the founder of Boynton Improv Education, LLC, and the author of three books on communication, the creator of the Teach Medical Improv Train the Trainer ebook series, and a member of the Human Dignity and Humiliation Studies education team. Hmm, we're going to have to ask about that. So Beth Boynton, welcome to the Nurse Keith Show. Hi, Keith. And hi, everybody listening. I'm really happy to be here with you guys. Thanks. Thanks for being here from your home in New Hampshire. And here I am in New Mexico. And I just want to tell the listeners that you and I met on social media a long time ago. <laughs> like, I know. I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago. And we yeah. haven't met in person yet, but we've become very good friends and colleagues and done a bunch of stuff together. And we're looking forward to meeting in person this spring, I think. Yes, I'm really looking forward to that, Keith. I feel such a kindred spirit in terms of our chosen profession and helping us be healthier and all sorts of good stuff. It's always fun to work with you. Thanks, darling. And it's all about reaching nurses and healthcare professionals and organizations too. Let's let's not leave out the organizations who right. who need our help to create healthier workplaces and ways that nurses can be more successful and ways that teams can be more functional, right? Because yes. we don't want to put the fun in dysfunction. We want to put the fun in function. <laughs> 
right? That's right. Yeah. And I do believe that there are hospitals and long-term care facilities and doctor's offices that are really looking for strategies that will help the all of us do a better job and enjoy our work. That's so true. That's right. And you're one of the people really out there doing that, just like Renee Thompson, who was on the show recently, and so many other people doing good work to support nurses and healthcare organizations kind of from the background, right? You know, we're, yeah. we're kind of cajoling and massaging and helping people create better communication, right? So right. before we jump into medical improv, which we definitely are going to talk about at length. I was going to say ad nauseum, but that's not the right term. <laughs> at length. What's your background as a nurse, just so people understand where you're coming from as a as a clinician? Well, I've been a nurse for about 30 years. So some of my initial work was in med surge. From there, I went into home health nursing and occupational health nursing. So I have the some expertise in both of those pathways and have done a lot of both over the years. More recently, I was doing some per diem in a long-term care facility where my focus was on secure units with folks who had dementia. So where we're improvising all the time. <laughs> right. So you've been around the block as a as a nurse, so you've worked in different milieus. And where did you first hear about this idea of using improv for communication? Like where did you where did the light bulb first go off, I guess? That's a great question. Yeah. It went off for me when I was taking a a, a community community education class with my son, who was probably in the early part of middle school at the time. And I was in counseling at the time because I had been divorced and I was learning about my own relationship patterns, if you will. So mm. I was learning how to speak up and be more assertive for myself and take care of myself um, in a healthier way. And so in that class, I was like, oh, my God, the stuff that I'm learning in my uh, counseling sessions and, and trying to use in my professional career as well as raising my son, that was the same stuff. It was like, you know, self-awareness and self-confidence. It just there, it was more playful, whereas in therapy, you know, it can be hard work. Right. And who introduced you to the whole idea of medical improv? Um, that term comes from a woman named Katie Watson, and she teaches at Northwestern University. She's an attorney who teaches medical students a course in medical improv because her sideline is improv at Second City in Chicago. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So she and this doctor, Belinda Fu, who is out, I think, in Seattle, Katie had written a paper on her class and how improv was helping medical students gain soft, what I call soft skills, communication skills, emotional intelligence, leadership, mm. and that type of thing. So Belinda read Katie's paper, and they decided to start a train-the-trainer program. Meanwhile, I had just done a workshop at New York University, where I was using improv to teach communication and collaboration healthcare professionals. So, and I think you probably know my YouTube on interruptions mm -hmm. that is actually an improv activity that demonstrates what happens to us when we're constantly interrupted. I can send you guys the link to that. Absolutely. And 
anyway, so at the same time, when I found out about their training, I reached out and said, here's this YouTube. I'd love to come to this training. They said, oh, yes, please come. You can actually teach that activity. So that was back in about 2012. And that was really fun for me because that training was a bunch of people. Some were healthcare providers, social workers, nurses, a couple of doctors, some attorneys, some improvisers. So we were all learning improv activities as a way to build skills that would be helpful in healthcare. I see. And before we dig any deeper because I want to really ask some more questions about the improv. Somebody listening might be thinking, well, what's medical improv and how is it different from like when I go to an improv comedy performance downtown? Sure, sure. Well, it's like when we go to an improv comedy, we're going to go for the entertainment. And usually that's kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so improv comedy is really about taking theater activities and games and using them for performance. What we do in medical improv or this form of what's also known as applied improv is we take the same activities and instead of having any performance, we focus on the process. And in that process, there's always opportunities for practicing communication skills because it's a very it's a way for us to mutually share the responsibility for whatever we're creating. Hmm. So in an activity, we're taking turns speaking up and offering ideas as well as accepting the ideas that somebody else offers and building on them. So there's always this ex sharing of power that's going on that's really quite magical. Hmm. Sharing of power. That's an interesting statement. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when you talk about using this kind of playful activity and sharing power among people, maybe who like, say you have a surgeon and a nurse or a mm -hmm. surgeon and a nurse's aide or a mm -hmm. physical therapy aide working together or playing together in improv, then the power dynamic is changed, right? Because we're Correct. they're on an equal playing field, I guess. Exactly. Or that's exactly. what we want. That's that's what we're looking for. Right. I mean, you could think of it, and I'll give you an example in a second of if it's not exactly equal, it's an aspiration to become more equal. So that nurse oh. or, or nurse assistant would be getting to practice skills that help him or her become more assertive, whereas the surgeon in that situation would be practicing his or her skills at listening better and taking in and collaborating more. Oh, okay. So, so in a sense, even if the power dynamic is still perceived between the surgeon and the nurse's aide, let's say, mm -hmm. yep. um, that nurse's aide has the opportunity and the permission, I guess you could say, in the context of the improv activity to be more assertive than she might be at this moment in real life out on the floor, right? Yes. And so yes. she practices. And then what happens for the surgeon? Does he or she have the opportunity then to learn how to accept feedback and learn how to accept people who are more assertive? Yes. At the very, very roots of that uh -huh. um, dynamic of power share. And here's an example that fits in because it comes from one of the first classes I ever did that there was a doctor in the audience and it happened to be it was a, a surgeon. Uh -huh. 
Ken Cohn, who has since passed away, but he was a really collaborative guy, and he was so interested in trying to understand and, and use this tool. So this activity is called the Know-It-All, and mm-hmm. three people sit side by side, whereas the other people in the room can ask questions where each of those three people has to say one word at a time in the answer. It may be hard to completely visualize, but let's say I ask an open-ended question like, why is the sky blue? So person A says the, person B says sky, person C says is. And Uh then it has to flow into an answer, not that is a factual explanation for the color of the sky, but that does make some sense. So in this particular incident, there was the surgeon, Ken, was sitting in the middle of two nurses. (laughs) And so there was a point in when they were, let's say, let's stick with that example. And somebody had asked that question where the nurse before him must have said something like, pressure, let's say this, the, the sentence was going, the sky is blue because the air pressure is. And you could see Ken mm-hmm. at that moment. He was like, the, the direction of the answer went in a different place than he was planning. Like he had in his mind a place that he was going to explain. Uh-huh. And, that, and that was not it. So in that moment where that nurse spoke up to say the word that she was thinking of. She had this like moment of hesitation. Then she said something. He had this moment, you could see it in his face where he just sort of like, oh, okay, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. I'm going to say something different. But so, so he went along with it and they came out with an answer and we all clapped. But then we all talked about that teaching moment where she spoke up and he listened and she took a little more risk and he made a little more space. And it's, it's quite, and for me as a teacher, I jump up and down because to me, that is the very root of where we need to be able to share power. That makes a lot of sense. And I bet some nurses listening right now are nodding their heads like, yep, uh, yep. I need to be in a situation where I can say something to a surgeon or physician or person of greater power, I guess you could say, or yeah, influence. Sure. And uh, yeah, we've been using the word power, so we'll use that. And that person actually listens and, and responds like, oh, well, that's an interesting perspective on why the sky is blue or why we shouldn't. And then we can extrapolate that to the physician saying back to the nurse, oh, I can see where you're coming from, where administering this dose of this medication might have a certain effect we weren't thinking about. Thank you for bringing that to my attention, right? That's what we want to hear, right? That's what we're working towards, right? right? Yep. Okay. And and let me just add that in that scenario, not only do both people learn to develop their communication skills in ways that are beneficial to themselves and our culture, Mm -hmm. they also are building a relationship because it's funny, they laughed and we talked about it. So they have this common shared experience where they help each other learn and, and, and the relationship benefits. That's cool. So in a way, you have this opportunity to not just learn and increase, say, your emotional intelligence, your relational intelligence, your listening skills, your how you pay attention to, I guess, body language and things like that. But then mm-hmm. what you're saying then is later on, three months later, that surgeon and nurse might be having a conflict or conversation, and maybe they remember the experience of being on equal footing in the improv class. Right, right. And having fun together and cut each other a little slack. Oh, sorry. 
oh, no worries, I forgive you, let's move on. When we don't do that, we just end up in our power struggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So when we talk about communication, soft skills, emotional intelligence, relational intelligence, all these groovy, awesome, wonderful things that we want everybody to internalize and then and then be able to practice. Is there something you and I can do right now in the moment to demonstrate some a simple improv activity that people don't need to see us in order for them to get what we're doing? Yeah, okay. I think we could do, we can do, have a couple of conversations, um, a yes and conversation and a yes but conversation. Okay. Would I've, you like to do that? Yeah, I've I've seen that before, actually, in improv comedy, but can you really quickly explain what that means? Because some people might be wondering where we're headed with this. Sure, sure. So you and I are going to have two conversations, and the first one will be a yes and conversation. And that's where we'll figure out what the topic is in a minute. Maybe I'll ask you to choose what the topic will be. And one of us will start. The other person will say yes to what the first person said, and we're going to build on it. So I'm going to validate what you say to use some terms from communication, and then I'm going to add my own idea. So, And then you're going to say yes to what I said. You're going to validate me, and you're going to build on that. Okay, so then okay. we'll have that conversation. Then we'll have another conversation that instead of saying yes and to, we're going to say yes, but. So, And we'll ask folks who are listening to just consider how the quality of the conversation is different. And I'll ask you, invite you to consider the same. Okay. And should this be a clinically oriented conversation or can it be anything? It can be anything. When I teach improv, I usually try to just pick a, uh, because I like to keep the risk out of it so that isn't necessarily any stress around clinical memory or anything so that we're just focused on kind of having fun and the skill itself. So I would say pick something that's that's general that you know that if if you're going to pick the topic and I'll start the conversation that it's at least something that I know something about. Okay. All right. So um you know I have a cat named George, right? Yes. Okay. And, and you know cats, right? Mhm. Yeah. Do you have one? I can't remember. No, because I'm allergic to them. Oh gosh. Well, maybe we shouldn't talk about it because you might start sneezing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we can. We can. Let's do talk it. about George. Okay. Let's so, talk about George. So the situation here is that George, we call him gorging George because he can't stop eating, and nothing's wrong with him physiologically. <laughs> so we think he's he's a foodie. I mean, he lives in Santa Fe, and he's like totally into food. So let's talk about how we approach controlling George's voracious appetite. Okay. So I'll ask you to say something. And remember, if I say something that is different than what your experience with George is, because I don't know all of those experiences that you're Mm -hmm. just going to build on it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So why don't you start? Okay. So Beth, uh, George likes to eat 24 hours a day and I don't know what to do about it. What, What would you say? I would say let me meet George because I want to eat 24 hours a day too. Yes, you can. And if you start eating 24 hours a day, it's might may not really help me control George's behavior because then he'll feel like he has permission from you to eat 24 hours a day. 
Well, I can see that maybe it, this is not going to solve the problem of George's eating, and yet it is going to help celebrate one of George's gifts, which is just a wonderful appreciation for eating. Yes, and I can also say that if you validate George's predilection for eating nonstop, <laughs> then when you go back to New Hampshire, George is going to be like, well, Beth gave me her implicit permission to completely you know, bother you 24 hours a day for food. So I think this is awesome. <laughs> I think George is going to be really excited about this new way of looking at his eating habits. Yes. And we're, Mary and I are going to have to live with a cat who weighs like 47 pounds. <laughs> and we're going to have to write to you to ask you how to help us have him lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, George, gorging George. Gorging gorgeous George. Yes. So does that wow. does that paint a picture of how when you you did say a couple things that were not what I was planning and then <laughs> my my internal response might have been to say but but instead mm -hmm. I said and and what is it like for the receiver to hear someone say yes and to their statement rather than yes but? I think that's a great question, Keith, because it helps to identify one of those, an, another one of those root experiences. It's very affirming, typically. Most people will say, I really enjoyed feeling that you were going to support me in what I said. Mm -hmm. And if we put aside a moment, some nurses might be thinking, well, we can't always agree with each other. And that's very true. I will we'll finish the activity and we can go back to that point and talk about that a minute if you want to. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like, say you're two nurses on the floor and mm -hmm. one nurse says to the other, something like patient in room 27 needs their fully changed and I don't have time. And the other nurse says something like, yes, and we can actually wait an hour and I'll help you do it after lunch. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. and rather than saying yes, but you need to do it right now. Right. <laughs> right. So it's less, it's more affirming, I guess, of the other person. Right. Um, and yes. And <laughs> if, I mean, if, and even in that situation, if, if the other nurse couldn't help in an hour, it still allows room for affirming that the first nurse's experience. In other words, she needs to, the patient needs to have the fully changed. That nurse doesn't have time. Those are two pieces of true information, or at least that nurse doesn't have time right now. So we can validate that. Right. Say, without having anything further to do with whether I can help or not, the first step is Sally in room 15 needs her catheter changed and you don't have time. Am I understanding you right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So from there, instead of saying, well, I can't do it, <laughs> from yeah. there we create an opportunity for collaborative problem solving that, right. that can arise after being validated as opposed to, you know, a saying, well, I can't help you and creating a power struggle. Yeah, saying, I can't help you. See ya. Right. Yeah, bye. Um, <laughs> see you later. I'm going right. to go have a cup of coffee. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck to you because my patient in 14L has to have pain injections. So right. I have it just as bad as you. <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of nurses listening are like, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. That's what happens mm -hmm. all the time. So if we circle back to George and we do okay. yes, but... 
Um, So we start again and I say something to you like, so Beth, you know, George the cat loves to eat all the time and I'm at my wits end about what to do. Well, yes, but he's a cat and he should be able to eat what he wants. I I understand that that opinion, (laughs) but at the same time, when George eats whatever he wants all the time, he's going to get fat. He's going to develop diabetes. I'm going to have to give him insulin. And, you know, the rest is history in terms of miserable cat ownership. <laughs> yes, but it's like all of that is in the future. We have to live for today. And I think George <laughs> is giving you a great example of just celebrating today. Ah, so you're trying to say that I should give in to George's gorging proclivities and maybe gorge myself? So you want us both to become obese now? (laughs) What I want to know is what you're cooking up so I can see if I want to come over for half some of it. Okay. Well, some of it will be really gross, disgusting cat food that smells like (laughs) sardines. But you live in New Hampshire, so maybe you'd enjoy that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is fun. So, yeah. And I guess people who are listening can see that that if you say yes, but you're diminishing what the other person says, you're discounting their opinion. You're saying, oh, he's just a cat. Don't even worry about it. That's in the future. Live for today. And I'm like, well, I'm the cat owner. I'm the one who has to live with this diabetic, obese, hypertensive cat with congestive heart failure. Not you. You're in New Hampshire. So, right. And then if you look... (laughs) It is. It's it's much more confrontational. Totally confrontational. I mean, even in that like 15 or 20 seconds, we were getting into a tangle. We were right. laughing, but say you were on the floor again talking about that catheter change mm-hmm. and your colleague starts to say, yes, but you just have to mm-hmm. go do it, suck it up, right? Right. That doesn't right. feel or like- I change. If I said to that nurse, <laughs> why don't you say that? And I'll yes, but it. Yes. I'll say, well- I need to change the catheter, but I don't have time right now. Well, I changed one yesterday and I didn't have time. I had two extra patients. <laughs> right. And so all of a sudden I feel like, oh, you're a much better nurse than me. I guess I should just go, you know, flip burgers because I can't change a catheter on time. <laughs> so, right. yeah. So I can hear, and I've experienced this myself many times, how this kind of conversation just kind of goes in circles and everybody leaves feeling worse for the wear. Right. So right now we're going to take a pause for the cause just for a moment and offer for you to consider becoming a patron of the Nurse Keith show over at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Nurse Keith. That's where people just like you who listen to the show and appreciate it can pledge just a tiny little bit each month to support the work we're doing here for nurses and the nursing profession. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from me. Again, that is at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. And yes, you can sign up for my newsletter at nursekeith.com. You can leave a rating and review of the show over on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. And remember that if you know a colleague or friend or family member or the local grocer who needs some career coaching with me, when you successfully refer someone to me and they become a paying client, you get an hour of coaching with me as my way of saying thank you. And there's no limit on the number of people you can refer and the number of hours of coaching you can receive as my token of my 
infection. No, my appreciation. So those are my sincere asks of you today. And I want to make sure you note in your calendar that on March 1st, 2019, go to com, and she will be giving away a link to a free Amazon ebook for the yes and exercise that you experienced here on episode 194. So remember, March 1st, 2019, for 24 hours, go to bethboynton.com to get your free copy of Yes and Exercise, the ebook from Beth Boynton. So let's jump back into the studio for the rest of our conversation with the wonderful Beth Boynton. So tell me, in your personal experience, whether in your personal life or professional life, can you give an example of how you've actually taken one of these skills that you've learned in improv, because you you know it so well, and it's helped you to be more assertive in a particular circumstance? Sure, because, I mean, it's, it's such a root part of my growth. I think it comes out in almost everything I do. Um, So, but I can give you like a current example because it's, it's like self-development is, is really hard work. So let me just put, because I'm going to give you a story of a current situation um, where I'm living with a new person, but I want, or, and I want folks to understand that, you know, It's more of an emotional growth than an intellectual growth because I can paint a picture. um, I'm very successful. I've written three books. I've gone to graduate school. I've been a nurse for 30 years. So Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of things that might suggest that I'm a capable person. So just in the past two months, um, moved into this beautiful house in Portsmouth, New Hampshire with another woman who's also a consultant. She's not a nurse, though. But she had a lot more stuff than I did. And I'd say more affluent in some of like her artwork and things that she had that represent her life. So there were some moments where like I have this futon that has a splatter paint cover and it's very colorful and I really like it. It sort of expresses part of who I am, but I could kind of tell that she didn't really like it. It wasn't like within her taste. But for me to say, to stand up in that moment and say, well, I really like it, and I would like to keep that in this, it's sort of like a second living room, like that I would like to keep it here, even though I knew that she didn't like it, or she didn't love it, and I could see in her face, she was like, okay, and so she she's being respectful, too, because she said, okay, but that moment of me trying to like bring my own person into this equation, even knowing that it might not be what somebody else wanted. That moment is not, it's not easy for me. So I did it and I did it because I know that I'm I'm acutely aware of what I would be doing if I said, oh, you know, I can see you don't like it or we can just use, you know, your whatever you want or we can get another cover. There are a million things I could have done to give up my voice. Mm-hmm. And historically, I have done that over the years to acquiesce to what somebody else wants. Um, and sometimes compromising is great. It's not so much that it's against that, but it is about stepping up and really putting your yourself into the equation. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And again, we can extrapolate that to a conversation between two clinicians where... Mm-hmm. 
you're talking to a nurse or a doctor and you disagree about a particular order or how something should be done or maybe a new way to do something. And you need to be able to do that. Yes. And yes. And we mm. could do that. And I also see dot, dot, dot. This could be the consequences of that medication order or changing this or doing the catheter an hour and a half late. Like, you know, right. there's so yeah. many ways that you can either be confrontational and confrontation yep. sometimes is necessary. I mean, you know, we don't want people to get us wrong. Like, oh, you should always agree with everybody. I right. think what I hear you saying is that we need to be assertive. We need to be able to honor our own opinions and our own voice and yep. feel comfortable putting that out there and hoping that we can have a reasonable, intelligent, compassionate conversation to get to the other side, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the only caveat I would say to what you just said, Keith, is that is to take the risk even when it feels a little uncomfortable, you know, because mm -hmm. that's what holds us back. And I think one of the great things about the improv way is we take it out of the clinical environment and we get to build those muscles. We get to have a little bit more comfort with the discomfort mm -hmm. so that when it comes to a clinical situation, um, we can take that risk a little bit it helps us to take that risk. Right. And that's like when I'm working, let's say with a career coaching client, like I was just a few hours ago on uh -huh. preparing for an interview. And we were talking about ways in which those conversations can go differently and how the interviewee, the nurse sitting in that interview has power to state his or her opinion. And, you know, of course you don't want to turn someone off during an interview, but you also want to be authentic, right? right. So yes. it's that ability to, to, to pivot in your conversation and be able to, to disagree respectfully or yeah. offer a different opinion and not get chewed up for it. And of course, every workplace has a different culture, right? Mm -hmm. So one culture might be very collaborative and everybody listens to everybody else and people are listening right now rolling their eyes saying that doesn't happen where i work but i, I know, know me neither <laughs> i want to go get a job there yeah wherever that is we're all going to apply um <laughs> but right so this this can come home to roost for you in many ways positively and negatively so obviously you want to grow so that you can be a good communicator right, right. and Absolutely. these soft skills which uh, that's what we call them because we don't have another term for it, but these like non-task based skills, we could say, how do they relate to, let's say, staffing issues, attrition of nurses, burnout, bullying, the patient experience, outcomes in healthcare? How does this benefit all of those pieces? Well, let's take them one at a time. Okay. Um, although there is some interrelated aspects. But for staffing, for instance, you wouldn't think that soft skills would have anything to do with staffing. Um, in my opinion, it does because it helps us be clearer and more and more respectful as the examples that you've brought up here. And when we are asking for help, when we um, say that we can't help or are not available, we do that more respectfully. Mm -hmm. It helps us to raise our own awareness of when we actually do need help, that self-awareness of maybe when we're getting tired or stressed out so that our thinking might become compromised. Our awareness of those things helps us to know when we're going to ask for help. And asking for help is definitely related to staffing. 
But I think more importantly that as we develop the relationships among and between nurses, that it's going to help give us a stronger individual voice and a stronger collective voice. And that's the big picture from from my perspective is that unless we are like really supporting each other in our differences and respecting each other and ourselves, that we just keep end up in these like crazy cycles. If I ask for help and you say, well, I didn't need it under the same circumstances, that really undermines our ability to say, we need more help. We need more staffing. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. And I can see how the ability to be able to speak up and say your piece and be assertive in your communication could potentially head off you from feeling burnt out. Because if you're working in a workplace where nobody listens, everybody, everybody cuts you down or disagrees with what you say, and they say yes, but, but not yes. And at a certain point, you're going to be like, I can't do this anymore because this isn't any fun anymore. Like nobody listens to me. Nobody respects what I have to say. And I could see where burnout could (laughs) totally occur from that kind of experience, that emotional experience at work. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, And it also helps us, like, we learn to be able to identify what burnout looks like in somebody else. So I might say, hey, Keith, I'm starting to notice that you're not looking too happy here at work. Can we talk about that at some point? Yes, but. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I've got to go feed my cat. Yeah. you know, it helps us to notice notice it in ourselves, and also it creates a door for possibly being supportive of our colleagues um, and heading it off, identifying it early, so maybe could get help. Assuming maybe that the culture is going to be responsive to that, and maybe not, and that's a whole other ball of wax. Yeah, but. that's another conversation. Right. Um, and you know, a couple episodes ago, I had Renee Thompson on, and you know Renee, and she's do. she does the bullying stuff. Like that's her she sweet does. spot. Unfortunately, it needs to be done. Somebody's got to do it, right? So, yeah. in terms of bullying, if you can practice in medical improv and learn how to defend yourself and be verbally or and or emotionally assertive mm-hmm. what does that do say if you have a bully on your unit and you're you're a target or a potential target of a bully um it would help you to recognize that what's happening and to not internalize that if somebody's treating you disrespectfully, you can feel more a, a sense of confidence that that is not okay. And that can lead to having a conversation with that person. It also might lead you to, if you saw a bully targeting somebody else, that you'd feel more confident about speaking up uh, mm. about that behavior. And it also um, helps the bully to learn how to be more collaborative. And I wouldn't say that medical improv or applied improv is, is the sole solution to a bullying problem, but it can help. And it can help because I think people who tend to bully don't have a lot of positive social experiences mm-hmm. in terms of relationships. So this gives a chance for them to collaborate, which is important feedback that, oh, that felt good to me too. Maybe my own behavior can shift a little bit. Good point. That's a good point. And Renee does share some stories about bullies who have changed their ways. And sometimes people actually are 
engaging in bullying behaviors and they don't know it. They're not conscious that they're bullying other people. So if you can be assertive and feed that back to the bully, maybe they can actually change. And, you know, some of you might be rolling your eyes out there that it's not possible. And yes, in some circumstances, a bully just needs to get fired. Right. Right. But we have seen people change and we want to give them the benefit of the doubt unless they're so, so evilly horrible that we just need to get them fired. But that's another conversation, too. Well, you know, and that's a leadership issue, which needs to be addressed. And even improv can help people become more confident in giving feedback of any sort, which might be, hey, that that behavior is not okay. Period. Yeah, because yeah, even administrators or managers or leaders or supervisors can be afraid of bullies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, that nurse has been on the floor 38 years. She's so valuable. We know she oh, bullies yeah. people, but we're going to turn the other way because we can't let her go. Right. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's egregious, but it happens all the time. Right. So, I agree. And Renee would agree. agree with that too, because boy, they're out it's there. very it's very damaging. Isn't um, it? Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Yep. So Beth, before we wrap up, okay. um, where does your passion come from and how do you maintain this passion for this, this strategy and teaching these skills that I see are so important, but where does it come from for you and how does it continue to feed you? Well, I think because it's helped me to become a happier person and to form healthier relationships. Hmm. And it's also, you know, when I bring that into the professional realm, it's like when I first started building my consulting business, it was more around communication workshops and workshops that were designed to let, this is how you give and receive feedback and things that are really important. And I gradually integrated um, improv activities in those classes. So my point is, is that what I see in the classroom is if somebody can have an experience where they feel heard, that is much more effective in terms of teaching a listening skill than me with a PowerPoint um, and handouts talking about what, you know, listening is supposed to be or perspective taking. That's like another example of, of a listening skill that we can talk about, but when we don't have opportunities to see another perspective and to validate them, it's really hard to internalize. I think you used the word internalize skills earlier in our conversation, and I made a mental note because these are experiences that help us to internalize communication skills at their very root. And I just get excited because I see how they work. <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear that. That's wonderful. And, you know, I'm looking at two of your books right now on my desk. I have Confident Voices, The Nurse's Guide to Improving Communication and Creating Positive Workplaces. And that's a great book. I've used it in my coaching as well with people I've been helping be more assertive, like in interview situations. And then I'm looking at successful nurse communication, safe care, healthy workplaces, and rewarding careers. And that's a Davis book that was published by F.A. Davis, very well-known medical and nursing publishing company. I contributed to chapter 13 on nurses, culture, and communication. And there's some other awesome contributors in here like Pat Iyer, Terry Goodman, Pat Bemis, Martine Ehrenclue. There's some amazing people in here. Candy Campbell. So this is a really great book as well. I highly recommend it. And we will have links to all of Beth's books 
her social media, Facebook, her website, bethboynton.com. That's B-E-T-H-B-O-Y-N-T-O-N, bethboynton.com. And you can also check out Portsmouth Improv Learning Lab. Dot org, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes too. And that will help all of you listening to find these resources and share them with your colleagues and your supervisors. And maybe you'll bring Beth to your facility to do some of this medical improv, which is super fun. And you've already seen, those of you listening have seen and heard how it can really help create a more positive workplace culture. And Beth, you shared some links with me too. There's articles you've written on how to teach effective communication, the path from improv to communication related to patient safety goals. So we'll have all those links in the show notes too. That would be great, Keith. I really appreciate that. May I also mention my third more recent book that's, um, that's called Medical Improv, A New Way to Improve Communication with 15 Activities that You Can Teach, STAT. Mm. So it's meant to be like a train the trainer. And I have a new ebook series too where I have some video recordings that folks can use so that they can teach an activity in with their team so that they're activity specific. They're very short 20 page ebooks, but it's a, a series of um, that has facilitation tips and video examples of what the activity cool. looks like. That yeah. is great. We'll have a link to that. And that book's already out, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we'll yep. have a link to that one too, your latest book and people can connect with you. And if folks want to get in touch, should they just do it through bethboynton.com, the contact yeah. page? Okay. So yeah, they will, they will get in touch with you. And Beth, I so appreciate you being here and you're awesome. And I'm going to see you in a few months in Massachusetts, which would be great. And um, we'll go out to lunch and be able to see each other in real life. I can't wait. I can't wait to give you a big real hug, Keith. And Uh, I really appreciate your um, willingness to dive deep on this topic and help me share it. Sometimes it's hard to articulate how exciting it actually is. And I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Yeah, we'll do it again in the future, too, when we have some you have some new stuff to teach and we'll we'll have you back. So thank you so much, Beth. You're the best. Okay, thank you. But you're the best. George is the best. Oh, you say that to all your cats. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you have it. You have been listening to the Nurse Keith Show. And remember that all the links will be in the show notes. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And I want you and Beth wants you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your professional career and the management of that career and the trajectory of who you are and where you're going as a nurse and a healthcare professional. The Nurse Keith Show is edited and produced by Tim Hollowell of thepodcastinggroup.com and his wonderful team. Social media and promotion are handled by the wonderful and equally capable Mark Cappy Spiesen. Stay positive, care for yourself and others, keep taking that inspired action, and tune in again as we continue to explore how to take your life and your career to the next level. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. Adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Beth, you'll say adios from beautiful... Downtown Portsmouth, New Hampshire. All right. So we'll see you on the flip side, folks. Bye-bye. Bye.